0: In his State of the Union address last night, U.S. President Joe Biden announced an end to COVID and an end to the defund the police movement. It's time for Canada to follow suit. I'm Kenneth Malcolm, and this is The Candice Malcolm Show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. So I don't usually cover U.S. politics very closely on this show. I Try to focus on Canada and all things Canadian. But the State of the Union address happened last night, and there were a couple of really interesting takeaways. So I wanted to focus the show on that, talk about how, of course, it relates back to Canada. So that's what I'm going to get to on the show today. Before, though, I want to talk about something that did happen in Canada. Remarkably, we hear so often from liberals, from politicians, from people like Justin Trudeau, that elections have consequences and that elections provide a mandate for the politicians. So they'll pick one thing that they said on the campaign trail and then they will declare that they now have a mandate to do that thing that somehow them getting voted in with 32% of the vote means that the Canadian public is okay with them doing that one thing that they said on the campaign trail. Well, right now we are experiencing something that is the exact opposite of that. The liberals have so quickly abandoned one of their pledges that they made during the campaign. And I'm talking about a ban on the sale of real estate to foreigners, to non-resident foreigners. So yesterday, Liberal MPs on the Commons Finance Committee rejected a two-year ban on the sale of Canadian residential real estate to foreigners abroad. The Liberal Party, of course, had promised to ban the exact thing during the election campaign in 2021. We're talking about six months ago. The Liberals were out there saying that they wanted to stop the sale of real estate to foreigners. Here is a clip of Justin Trudeau saying exactly that. This is from October 24th, 2021. Justin Trudeau promises to put a freeze on foreign home buying to limit speculation by investors living abroad. Here's what that looked like. At
1: the same time, we'll crack down on the predatory speculators that stack the deck against you. So no more blind bidding. No more foreign wealth being parked in homes that people should be living in.
0: Well, fast forward to yesterday and the finance committee voted six to five against a conservative motion. They rejected a conservative motion to prohibit the purchase of residential property by non-resident foreigners. The conservatives and interestingly the new democrats supported the temporary ban, while the liberal and the bloc opposed it, so (laughs) <laughs> so so what happened to the whole elections have consequences and we have a mandate to do this stuff? Well, the liberals never meant what they said. They only put that in during the election because the conservatives had a similar plan and they wanted to match the conservatives. They didn't want the conservatives to be able to talk about this. So they just put it out there. Clearly, they had no intention of actually doing this. You cannot trust these liberals to do what they say they're going to do. All right, let's move on, talk about Joe Biden and his State of the Union address last night. So look, I'm not one of those people who watches the Super Bowl. I never watch the sort of award shows, Academy Awards. I'm not interested in any of that stuff. For me, what I like watching is political things, political speeches. The State of the Union is one of my favorites. It is such a spectacle. It is such a show of sort of this odd relationship that Americans have uh, with their president, their culture. There's so much pomp. There's it's so ceremonial. It feels almost like a monarchy in a system that outright rejects monarchy. So you, you so you see um, this pageantry of the State of the Union. It's usually really really entertaining. I, I will say that last night. Uh, was not that. It was not the sort of exciting, uh, interesting pageantry of a, of a State of the Union. It, you know, Biden d- just doesn't have the showmanship um, that Trump had. He doesn't have the great oratory skills uh, that Barack Obama had. So compared to like the last 10 years of these things, uh, last night was just an underwhelming low energy speech. Uh, Joe Biden sort of started out strong with some energy by the end. He was he had faded. He he was hardly making sense. He was. Uh, I'll get through some of the gas um, that he made, but he was just sort of mumbling, and you could see that the the Democrats in the audience were giving him lots, lots of applause to try to sort of wake him up and give him some more energy. But uh, really, it, it was a short speech. These things usually drag on and on and on and last, uh, you know, upwards of an hour. Last night was, it was I, I think it came in just under an hour or maybe just around an hour. It was it was low energy. And typically the purpose of a State of the Union is for the president to discuss his accomplishments in office, the things that he has done, the things that he's implemented, and talk about the State of the Union. That's why it's called the State of the Union to focus on what he has done. Well, last night we saw that the first like 15 or 20 minutes were not talking about the United States at all. There talking about Ukraine and the situation there. I totally understand why Joe Biden would rather talk about that um, than his own record because the situation in Russia sort of unifies Americans, or at least there's bipartisan support amongst Republicans and Democrats. Uh, they, they both oppose Russia. They both are in favor and supportive of, of Ukraine. So that's something that he can kind of use to rally people around him. And then and then he talked about the things that he wants to accomplish in the future. So, so not so much the things that he has done, uh, but a look ahead at better days ahead. So it sounded more like a campaign speech, which makes sense, given that it is a midterm year. There will be midterm elections uh, this November. And so Biden started off, like I said, talking About the war, the conflict in Ukraine, and focused a lot. Uh, of his time and efforts talking about that. He had some tough words for Putin. So look, I think that that we're at a stage now where it seems like Putin has made a a strategic mistake. He seemed to have uh, overestimated his ability to conquer Ukraine quickly. And and he wrongly assumed that the international community would not jump in, that they would stay on the sidelines as they did when Russia invaded and took over Georgia in 2008. And when they annexed Crimea, part of Ukraine, back in 2014, there was hardly any reaction whatsoever from the international community. So what we're seeing today with, with, lots of sanctions, lots of arms, lots of involvement, everybody kind of rallying around Ukraine is that Putin was, was surprised by that. And so Biden talked a lot about that in his speech. So he he told Congress that Vladimir Putin had badly misjudged how the West would hit back once he inc- invaded Ukraine. He vowed an unwavering resolve that freedom will always triumph over tyranny. Well, that is a uh, very wishful thinking given that most of the world still lives under tyranny and that freedom is the rare exception in human history, including in modern day. But regardless, of that, you know that's, that's the sort of language that we expect from an American president. Uh, Biden said that Putin's war was premeditated and unprovoked he rejected repeated efforts at diplomacy he thought the West and NATO wouldn't respond and he thought he could divide us here at home Putin was wrong we are ready
1: this is the real test and it's going to take time so let us continue to draw inspiration from the iron will of the Ukrainian people <laughs> <From> president Zelensky <laughs> TO EVERY UKRAINIAN, THEIR FEARLESSNESS, THEIR COURAGE, THEIR DETERMINATION LITERALLY INSPIRES THE WORLD. HE THOUGHT HE COULD ROLL INTO UKRAINE AND THE WORLD WOULD ROLL OVER. INSTEAD, HE MET WITH A WALL OF STRENGTH HE NEVER ANTICIPATED OR IMAGINED. HE MET THE UKRAINIAN PEOPLE. HE THOUGHT THE WEST AND NATO WOULDN'T RESPOND. HE THOUGHT HE COULD DIVIDE US AT HOME, In this chamber in this nation he thought he could divide us in europe as well but putin was wrong we are ready we are united and that's what we did we stayed united throughout our history we've learned this lesson when dictators do not pay a price for their aggression they cause more chaos
0: and part of these state of the union addresses is that the president will always invite several guests that will be sitting in the audience and then throughout the speech they will mention this guest and the focus of the of the room will will go on to the guests and they'll get a standing ovation and it's usually sort of inspiring stories kids all that kind of stuff there was a little bit of that but but The sort of primary guest, the guest of honor, the first guest that Joe Biden uh, looked to and thanked was the uh, Ukrainian ambassador to the U.S., who, no surprise, received a standing ovation. She was sitting right next to Joe Biden's wife, the First Lady Jill Biden, up in the VIP box. And you can see why Joe Biden would want to talk about something other than his own record, something other than his performance at home, because Joe Biden is not viewed favorably by the American public. His approval rating is very, very low, according to a real clear politics average of recent polls, the aggregate uh, 40.6 percent approve of the job that Joe Biden is doing, 54.4 percent disapprove. That is the lowest it has ever been. I've seen polls as low as 37 percent approval rating for Joe Biden. And as for his vice president, VP Kamala Harris, her approval rating remarkably is even lower than Joe Biden's. People do not like Kamala Harris, despite all of the sort of celebration and praise that she received for being the first female vice president, the first black vice president, uh, when it comes to her actually personality and her governance and the way that Americans view her, it is very bad, worse than Joe Biden's 37.5%. Aggregate average approval rating according to Real Clear Politics 51% disapproved. So, this is not a popular administration at all. And so, it is no surprise that they would much prefer to talk about uh, foreign conflicts and things that generally unite Americans as opposed to their own records. And I want to talk a little bit about some of the prominent gas. Well, I'm talking about Ukraine. This, this was sort of the big one that was circulating around on social media. Uh, J- Joe Biden talking about Putin, talking about about how Putin is circling Kiev with his tanks. And he said that he will never win the hearts and souls of the Iranian people, the Iranian people, Iranian people. He obviously meant to say Ukrainian people. He skipped the, he missed the K there. So here is what that looked like.
1: Putin may circle Kiev with tanks, but he'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. He'll never, he'll never extinguish their love of freedom.
0: Now, of course, it's no big deal. He just misspoke a little bit. No big deal. You're reading a a speech for an hour long. You're bound to misspeak here or there. I, I only I only mention this because if this was George W. Bush, George W. Bush was painted as if he was a complete and utter fool by the legacy media. They mischaracterized what he said. They took things out of context and they made him seem like a blundering idiot. And that is the impression that so many Americans still have today of George W. Bush. It's it's not true. It's not accurate. It doesn't represent his true character. The the, the period when George W. Bush was president was sort of pre-social media. So we didn't have the opportunity to have, uh, you know, George Bush and Republicans putting out their own narrative and their own side of the story to counteract the deranged media. However, the, the, the few gaffes that George W. Bush had really characterize his presidency. And in the minds of so many Americans, he is defined that way. Uh, when it comes to a Democrat, when it comes to someone like Joe Biden, uh, when he makes gaffes, the media just doesn't even acknowledge it, doesn't cover it, doesn't uh, put it put it out there whatsoever. The only people who were talking about this were sort of conservatives on Twitter. We know that if this was George Bush, it would be on t-shirts, on mugs, on bumper stickers. Uh, it would be a prominent meme in society when it happens to a Democrat. Nothing to see here, no mention whatsoever. He also had a couple of other sort of odd blunders, I think, when he went off script. This part was not in the released script uh, of the State of the Union. However, uh, this is what he said, uh, that you cannot build a wall high enough to keep a vaccine out. You can't stop the spread of this disease. Here is Joe Biden sounding completely incoherent, not making any sense.
1: Because you can't build a wall high enough to keep out a a, a, a vaccine, the vaccine can stop the spread of these diseases.
0: He kind of had a mixed metaphor there. I think he thought he was talking about immigration and building a wall, but then he was talking about a vaccine, didn't didn't really make any sense. Another funny moment, uh, odd moment from the State of the Union last night was Biden was talking about uh, the tragedy that happens to soldiers breathing in toxic smoke, talking about how we need to treat veterans better, how Americans need to do better when it comes to healthcare for veterans. Oddly, Nancy Pelosi, who is the uh, Speaker of the House, is behind him, and she just starts getting like giddy and, and, and jumping up and clapping uh, when Biden was talking about something very sort of serious and not an applause moment. Here is what that looked like.
1: Faced in Afghanistan, faced many dangers. One being stationed at bases breathing in toxic smoke from burn pits. Many of you have been there.
0: Now, overall, I thought that the content of Joe Biden's State of the Union address was rather thin. Like I said, he didn't really talk about the accomplishments. He more talked about sort of things that were happening outside of his control and then plans for the future. One of the plans that he kept talking about was how we're going to have a COVID exit strategy. Interestingly, uh, Joe Biden announced his post-COVID plan today, Wednesday, um, instead of last night during the State of the Union. I don't quite understand why you wouldn't use your national platform uh, to announce your plan, why you would wait. Uh, till the next morning, but we still saw some positive uh, steps. One of the most striking things about the entire State of the Union was the fact that the CDC had just changed their guidelines just a couple of days ago. New guidance came out from the American CDC, the Center for Disease Control, the people who are in charge of the COVID response, saying that masks are no longer necessary in indoor public spaces. So again, one of the notable things from the State of the Union last night was that the officials were not wearing masks unlike in Canada every time you look at the House of Commons and look at the debates happening in Ottawa they're always wearing masks unless they're speaking Uh, well the United States Democrats here Democrats in the U.S. were just as fervently pro-masked as the most pro-masked Canadians well they have moved on New York California Washington D.C. have all lifted their mask mandates and yet here in Canada we still have the ridiculous spectacle of people wearing masks indoors so it was great to see that that the Americans have moved past this. Uh, I hope Canada will follow suit as well. Aside from the notable fact that they were not wearing masks inside, Biden also called for a reset. He said that we need to stop seeing COVID as a partisan dividing line. So this is according to the Wall Street Journal. They reported this way. They said Biden suggested that the nation was moving into a new phase of the pandemic, calling it a new moment in the fight against COVID-19. Biden pledged to continue to work to vaccinate Americans to take steps to be ready for future variants. He said the U.S. has the tools to keep schools and businesses open. He did stress, however, that emerging from the pandemic isn't a guarantee. It's still necessary to adhere to public health guidelines. And to get vaccinated. It noted that last July, Mr. Biden held a large celebration on the White House's South Lawn and declared the nation was closer than ever to be declaring our independence from this deadly virus. But that comment proved premature as the Delta variant took hold. And of course, the Omicron variant was even more widespread and severe than the Delta variant. Of course, it didn't kill as many people because it wasn't as deadly. And what did we learn from Omicron? We learned that everybody was getting hit with Omicron. It didn't really matter if you were vaccinated or not, everybody was getting it. Maybe people who were vaccinated didn't have as severe a case, but most young people don't have a severe case anyway. And in the midst of all this, there was a new report over at Medscape asking why are we ignoring infection-acquired immunity? So suddenly natural immunity is back on the table, something that we can talk about for so long. Uh, policymakers, especially those on the political left, but but generally speaking in Canada, they ignored antibodies derived from natural immunity, from COVID infection. In Canada, there is no recognition whatsoever of natural immunity. They are treated the exact same way. So someone who has had COVID recovered and has those natural antibodies is treated the exact same way as a unvaccinated person. Of course, the opposite is true in Europe. This is according to The Hill in Washington, D.C. It says many European countries recognize that immunity due to prior infection is equal to vaccination. So they will treat someone who has recovered from COVID the exact same way as someone who is vaccinated. Well, a new study backs this up, and it actually says that if you have natural immunity from COVID, you have 10 times better immunity than just getting the vaccine alone. So. Again, this is from Medscape. Antibodies derived from natural COVID infection are more abundant and at least 10 times more potent than immunity generated by the vaccine alone. This comes from a study from the Oregon Health and Science University in Portland published on January 25th. Again, Canada just simply doesn't recognize this. I don't understand how the science is different in different parts of the world. How is it that Europe has different science? How is it that Oregon State University or Oregon Health Science University in Portland has different science than we do in Canada? Canada. Why is it that the CDC in the U.S. says, you know what, you can go into Congress, you don't have to wear a mask, whereas in the House of Commons, they still have to wear a mask. This is a memo of the rules on in the House of Commons when it comes to masks. It says it is now mandatory for any person, including members of Parliament and their staff, political research employees, administrative employees, members of Parliament, members of the Parliamentary Press Gallery, and parliamentary business visitors are required to wear a mask and face coverings in the House of Commons precinct, it's time that we follow suit with our American neighbors, with our friends in the United Kingdom who have gotten rid of all the restrictions and m- European countries get rid of masks, recognize natural immunity. And I, I know that Alberta and, and Ontario have already taken these steps, but there's still so many rules on the book. You still have that horrific vaccine passport system in place in British Columbia. It is time that we just move on, declare that COVID is just something that we are going to live with. And I did see a lot of that from Joe Biden.
1: Just a few days ago the Senate- for disease control and prevention issued a new mask guidelines under the new guidelines most americans and most of the country can now go mask free and based on projections based on projections, more of the country will reach a point across that point across the next couple of weeks
0: a c- couple of other things to note from Joe Biden's State of the Union is that he almost sounded like a conservative. He almost sounded like a Republican. He talked about um, immigration and border security. He talked about defunding the police. And I think this is a really important moment last night at the State of the Union Democrat President Joe Biden says that we all agree the answer is not to defund the police. The answer is to fund the police. You can see that he then received a roaring standing ovation from the mostly Democrats in the audience. This is an incredible moment. Here is what that looked like.
1: We should all agree the answer is not to defund the police, it's to fund the police. Fund them. Fund
0: them. Now, Joe Biden was never the type to lead the charge on the defund the police movement. He was never the one out there loudly saying that we have to defund the police. However, his party and the Democrats were the ones that were pushing this movement. Joe Biden himself did make comments talking about how we should redirect funding and how we should fund um, other things as opposed to the police. But he he was never out there saying defund the police. Lots and lots of other prominent Democrats, including his own VP, Kamala Harris, were on that team. So here is a little montage of some prominent Democrats saying the exact opposite thing as as Joe Biden said last night in the State of the Union.
1: Mayor Eric Garcetti saying, take some of the money from policing, about $150 million. I applaud Eric Garcetti for doing what he's done. Not only do we need to disinvest for in police, but we need to completely dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department. So yes, defund your butts, defund you. Yes, I support the reallocation of resources uh, from NYPD. We will be moving funding from the NYPD to youth initiatives and social services. They are talking about reducing the allocation of resources to that department. And I think every single city in this country ought to be thinking about the same thing. Yes, I support the defund movement. I'm for responsible reallocation of resources and defund the police. I think you do all those other things. You don't need all the money that's going to the police department. So, yeah, I mean, the spirit of it, I I do support that. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of us were asked if we could imagine a future without police back in 2017 when when we were running for office. And I answered yes to that question. We are going to reduce funding in the police department. And I want
0: to talk about how this relates back to Canada, because like so many prominent social movements, cultural movements that happen in the United States, especially on the progressive political left, they seep into Canada and we see them taking hold. So we had an individual instance of police brutality, a horrible instance caught on film of a man being killed by a police officer in Minneapolis, Minnesota in the summer of 2020. And suddenly it became a big issue in Canada for some reason, even though we have a totally different history, we have a different culture when it comes to to the police. However, there were still loud calls throughout Canada to defund our own police in places like Halifax, Montreal, Edmonton, and Toronto. The, in, in Edmonton, they unanimously voted in favor of having city administration work with the police to review and develop the strategy for implementing recommendations. So, so so they all jumped on board, even though we don't have the same cultural issues. I can't stress how damaging this is for a society. For a society to say that the people who are charged with keeping the peace and making us safe and making us secure. The people who put their life on the line risk everything every single day to ensure order in our society. Order is the most important thing. You cannot have freedom, you cannot have opportunity, you cannot have justice unless you have that sort of baseline of order and stability and security. And so undermining that principle is is so bad for society and for the individuals who work on the front lines, for the people who go out there and are policing. Rather than treating these people with the revere and the the gratitude that they deserve, uh, treating them like heroes of our society and leaders and the people who keep us all in order. Uh, we, we started treating them like they were criminals, like they were suspect, um, like they were unworthy. I, I can't I can't stress how bad that is for society, how terrible it must be for recruitment. Like who, would, who in their right mind would want to be a police in this environment, in this environment where every cop is suspected and accused of being some kind of a criminal. Y- young people growing up thinking about a career path, I can't imagine a lot of young people were signing up and, Saying, yes, I want to defend my city, I want to be on the front lines, given the way that our society has treated police over the past two years, how it hopped into Canada. Even our own Prime Minister Justin Trudeau uh, participated in the spectacle. He did not write call for defunding the police. However, he did go to a BLM rally in the midst of the height of COVID, when COVID was still new, when COVID was still mysterious, when everyone else was told not to gather outside, when churches were banned, when we couldn't even have outdoor gatherings, weddings were banned. And yet when there was a large Black Lives Matter rally happening in Ottawa, our Prime Minister just skirted all the rules, decided that those rules, uh, it was okay to go against them because the BLM rally was righteous and, and deserving of, of attention. So here is our Prime Minister going into the crowd and taking a knee to what acknowledge police brutality and I, I don't know exactly what it means by taking a knee, but signaling that he is on the side of the BLM protesters and the defund the police crowd. Thank you. Woo! So so since all that happened, since so many jurisdictions across North America, including those Canadian cities, but many, many U.S. cities followed through and defunded their police and took the initiative, removed funding, redistributed funding, and just to put it simply, the results have been catastrophic. It has been really, really, really bad. The United States has experienced a significant spike in violent crimes, in homicide, in crime in general, in cities across the United States, specifically blue states, places where they did defund the police. I picked Oakland as an example, um, interestingly, because this is the area that Kamala Harris used to represent, the East Bay of San Francisco. uh, but I could have picked any city, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York, Los Angeles, Minneapolis. So many of these cities defunded their police or elements of their police. And then in the last year and a half since that happened, they saw a huge spike in crimes. So this is a report from Como News out in Oakland, California. It says once willing to defund the police, Oakland, California now faces a major violent crime spike. So according to this report, the chances of you being a victim of a violent crime in Oakland, California is one in 77, nearly three times higher. than in the state of California. I'll just go through some of the statistics is really, really startling. From 2020 to 2021, the total homicides in Oakland have jumped 23%. The increase in armed robberies in Oakland jumped 38% from 2020 to 2021. (laughs) The chances of you being carjacked, the the, the odds of an armed carjacking instance spiked and grew 78% in that just one year. This is really unbelievable stuff. Oakland's overall violent crime increased by 8%. Assaults with a firearm increased by 20%. Shooting into an occupied home or a vehicle, so like a drive-by shooting, increased by 25%. And overall, auto burglaries increased 31% over the last year. So really unbelievable stuff. The report looks at a couple of things, including the defund the police movement. Also that the city now releases criminals and inmates with a no-cash bail system. So even though people are arrested, they are then quickly released before their court date. So it it is a whole mess of things going on out in California but again this is happening in cities across the United States and and no surprise here in December 2021 so just two months ago Oakland City Council shift on the police force debate from defund to refund the police so they are all very much regretting uh, their decisions and they want more money back with policing because uh, lo and behold when you don't have police when you uh, tell when you demonize police officers when you kick them out of the city when you remove their funding when you treat them like dirt well guess what happens Happens, crime spikes, and that is what we are seeing. And to bring it back to Canada, one of the interesting things about the recent trucker convoy and the policing situation in Ottawa were that the leftist voices, who were the ones that were calling for defunding the police, they were also the ones who began loudly demanding that the police take more action against the trucker convoy. They were the ones complaining about police um, inaction, saying that they were allowing this protest to happen. They wanted the police to take more action, to be more vigilant, to be more forceful in removing the peaceful protest. In Ottawa, they were the ones loudly cheering on the police when Justin Trudeau invoked the emergency act and the police began using excessive force to remove the unarmed and peaceful protests in Ottawa. They were the ones who were loudly cheering them on. And then without the slightest sense of their own hypocrisy or the irony, immediately after the protest was removed, some of the anti-trucker protesters and activists went right back to demanding that we defund the police. So this is a post from Rupa Subramana, who is a friend of the program we had around the podcast. Podcast before, she writes this. The hate free zone came up in response to the Ottawa Freedom Convoy protest because residents of Centertown were petrified of the peaceful protesters. Its founder holds a poster now calling for defunding the police, defund the police, fund real safety. She says, when it was the cops who cleared out the protesters, you can't make this stuff up. So this is from the CBC. It talks, it shows this individual here. His name is Hassan Husani, one of the organizers of the community rally in Ottawa, stands with a hate-free zone. So he, so he's saying hate-free zone, which, which, which I'm again, going to assume means that he's accusing the truckers of being hateful. And now he's saying that we're in a hate-free zone, so no truckers allowed. And then you can see right there on the top in yellow, it says defund police, fund real safety, these people have no sense of their own hypocrisy and the irony of them now saying that they want to defund the police even though like two weeks ago they were demanding that the police do more and be more vigilant look uh, the overall point that i want to make with covering the state of the union address is that canada can actually learn a lot from president joe biden and the moderate tone that he took in his state of the union address we can learn a lot from him in terms of moving on from covid getting rid of the ridiculous punitive, cruel mask mandates, especially for little kids in school. It is so unconscionable that we continue to make little kids trying to learn how to speak, trying to learn how to communicate, trying to learn in general that we make them wear masks when so many of the adults don't have to wear masks in their own environment. And it is time that we all once and for all moved on from the divisive and ridiculous idea that we should defund the police. I'm Candice Malcolm, and this is The Candice Malcolm Show.